You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, I'm Jack Christides, and this is Billion Dollar Ballers, the show where we discuss the business of sports involving everything from the NCAA all the way up to the major leagues. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to listen today on America's Web Radio. As we all know, we've been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic for what seems like forever now, but it appears that we have now reached that light at the end of the tunnel, uh, so to say. As businesses across the country are beginning to reopen, so too are sports. We discussed in the previous show the immense role that sports would play in bringing back the economy, uh, hence President Trump and other various lawmakers' decisions to include the return of sports in Phase one of the three-phase plan to return to normalcy in the United States business world. Again, uh, as we have discussed previously, all of that began with the return of the UFC last week. Uh, The UFC did incredible numbers across the board. It included uh, a large number of purchases of the pay-per-view, actually reaching near the all-time highs, uh, close to millions of buys, along with the event being the most bet-on sporting event ever. Um, Now, this is paved the way for the return of many other sports as well, all of which we will be discussing on this week's show. So we've got a packed show for you today, and we're going to dive right in. Uh, The first thing that I wanted to discuss this week, it's something that I've told you guys is going to be coming for several weeks now, but finally it's here. It's the return of NASCAR. Uh, NASCAR returned on the 17th in Arlington, and this kicked off a streak of seven races in 11 days. Uh, pretty unprecedented for the NASCAR to have so many races in such a short period of time, but uh, it does seem that they're following in the footsteps of UFC, um, trying to capitalize on kind of a dead zone for media right now and give fans as many sports as they can and as many events as they can while they're bored in their homes and their eyes are glued to their TVs. Um, so again, similar to the UFC, it was a huge success. It averaged 6.32 million viewers uh According to Nielsen data, um, that would make it the most watched competitive sports event on cable television since the Daytona 500. Um, obviously, some slight caveats here. Uh, normally, NASCAR probably wouldn't get this kind of viewership if they were contending with other major sports. They most definitely would not have gotten this um, on a race in the middle of the week, which is what this race was. But nonetheless, it's extremely impressive, uh, and it's great to see a live sport on cable television coming back. As we know, the UFC did great numbers as well, but uh, that was mostly a pay-per-view with the undercards being on ESPN. But that was something that didn't really have access to the average person um, as much as, as this one did. So it was great to see a NASCAR event come back and be such a huge success. Everyone was tested at this event, um, and there were no signs of a positive test. Again, another great thing. Um, And we're going to monitor all the races as they come, these seven races in 11 days that are coming up, kind of look at the success. Hopefully they can maintain their viewership numbers. Um, Touching on gambling quickly, again, this did set a new record. uh, As we had talked about previously, UFC 249. That was the card last weekend. That card was the uh, the most bet-on sporting event ever. Um, and it got surpassed by this NASCAR Cup race. Um, this, they did not announce the uh, specific amounts of bets wagered, but, um, but Vegas did come out and say that it was the most gambled-on event ever, um, which is definitely interesting for a NASCAR race and super cool to see that happening. Uh, the numbers also indicated that racing may have reached some new fans. Um, 
So for those of you that are big fans of NASCAR and kind of hoping that it comes more into the limelight and becomes an even bigger sport, uh, this they had the biggest demographic gain in viewership um, that they've had in quite some time. So uh, the biggest gain was among men ages 18 to 34, which was up 47% since the last NASCAR Cup race before the pandemic forced the shutdown. Um, so this is definitely something that's pretty interesting. The, we can see that the fans are growing, uh, different demographics are growing as well. Um, and I think that this is something that the pandemic has really changed about sports. A lot of people are seeing that um, there's a lot of content out there that they may not have thought would entertain them before, but they're now extremely interested in. So I look forward to seeing how this type of demographic gain, not only in NASCAR, but in other sports, continues to grow uh, moving forward. For example, we have the Capital One, uh, the match coming up, which is that Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, uh, kind of one-off golf event, which should be extremely interesting. Um, we're projecting, and I'm projecting, and a lot of the experts are projecting that that will result in an increase of golf fans and potentially reach different demographics of people that may not have wanted to watch professional golf before. Um, so it's definitely an exciting time for sports as things are starting to come back, specifically for NASCAR and for golf as well. Uh, moving on, um, we didn't have time to give the MLB a whole segment today, so I figured that hopefully I could give it a good percentage of this first segment. A lot of news coming out uh, in terms of the new MLB season, how that's going to be operated, um, what we can project for the MLB to experience. And I know we talked a little bit about it last week, but there have been some new developments. So diving right into it, Major League Baseball is preparing to lose $640,000 each game if the season resumes without fans in the stands. And now that's according to their owners, and the projections are based on players earning a prorated salary across an 82-game season. We talked a little bit last week about uh, some of the players not wanting to do this prorated uh, this prorated salary. Um, however, it, it seems that that's the most likely scenario at this juncture. It's either a prorated salary or perhaps the owners would throw in the towel and say, you know what, we don't want to take a loss on the year. We're just not going to have a season. Um, but with the, uh, with the lack of visibility on baseball as it is and declining viewership among the younger demographics in particular, but across all demographics, uh, I don't foresee them canceling that season. I think that they need the visibility. I think if they were to cancel the season, um, there is a slight chance that people would realize that they're not missing too much by not having baseball on, especially when you have all of these seasons that have been delayed by the COVID crisis stacking up. You're probably most likely going to have NBA basketball, NCAA football, potentially even NFL football all running at the same time. That's a ton of sports content that otherwise would be competing with baseball and won't be now. Um, so baseball could really fade to the back if they don't have a season. So if they do have that season, they're going to do it with the prorated salaries. Um, and again, that's an estimated $640,000 loss each game to the league, which really adds up over time. Um, if there is further disruption that does lead to a cancellation of the baseball postseason, an additional $787 million in media would be at risk. Um, to break that down, uh, the MLB has a lot of different media contracts, but these are, these are the largest ones that I have found. They have their contract with Fox, which is worth $370 million in lost revenue. 
if they, again, don't have the postseason. Uh, it would also result in $310 million of loss from Turner, $27 million of loss from ESPN, and $30 million of loss from the MLB Network. Um, now that's coming up on a little over 750 almost $800 million loss for the MLB. Obviously not what they were hoping for, um, but it's something that a lot of the leagues have been facing and, quite frankly, are going to have to face until it's safe to have fans in stadiums again. We've had leagues such as the NFL, a lot of NCAA programs as well, um, expressing optimism that they can have fans in stadiums. I've heard numbers of between 20,000 and 50,000 fans in stadiums. Uh, however, to me, that just it does not seem likely. No matter how much these people want to have fans in stadiums, um, and obviously they do, especially in the case of the MLB facing a loss of $850 million, uh, it's just really not realistic to get all these fans in the stadiums until the social distancing guidelines are completely relaxed. And uh, I've expressed in this show before how how I'm really looking forward to the reopening of the economy and to uh, to things getting back to normalcy. But there's no need to take unnecessary risks and packing 50,000 fans into a stadium. While it would be great for the leagues and it would certainly be fun for the fans, uh, there, I just don't see a way where that's not a health risk. So, um, well, I believe that there will be fans potentially eventually, and maybe if baseball's lucky, they could get fans in in their postseason. It's certainly going to be a level of time um, before that's achievable. And baseball's going to face some losses. Um, with that being the case, the MLB is currently exploring some unique and uh, somewhat unprecedented, unprecedented ways of making up for this lost revenue. Um, one that I saw that I thought was particularly interesting is uh, MLB clubs exploring TARP ads. Um, so there's a likelihood they'll play a shortened 2020 season, most likely without fans in attendance, and that's going to mean a large amount of empty seats. Now, these TARP ads that they're proposing is a, a sale of large TARPs covering the empty seats, um, which they'll then be selling to different sponsors and different advertisers um, to put in extra ads. Now, one of the cool things about sports is that there's a million different ways that sponsors can advertise and um, contribute and get money back and get eyeballs on their product, being how popular sports is. Um, this is just amazing to me that they can find ways to advertise on their empty seats. Uh, they've already filled up all the signage inside the stadium, um, outside the stadium, in the parking lots, even on the players in some cases, on the gloves, on the cleats, so many different places that people are already advertising, yet they're still finding new places and new ways to advertise. Um, so if they are able to do this, it'll hopefully help to make up a percentage of the million dollars in ticket and in stadium revenue that will be lost. Lost uh, Again, in 2019, 11% of the league's entire revenue was generated by sponsorships. So this is a huge area uh, and hopefully an area that they can uh, make up some money with. Um, now, just a preview, brief preview of the next three segments that we're going to have on today's show. There have been some major developments across almost all of the major sport leagues, both domestically and abroad. Um, so it really will be a packed show. For our first topic coming up after the upcoming break, we'll have NCAA updates 
as many schools begin cutting D1 athletic programs um, as a lot of what our predictions in the early shows is coming true. Um, athletic departments simply don't have the revenue to function anymore, and they need to make cuts. So uh, we'll get into what sports are being cut, hopefully none of your favorites, and um, which sports are staying alive. Uh, another topic we'll be discussing is NBA announcements and changes as the league prepares for the eminent restart. Um, it seems extremely likely, as we discussed last week, that the league will be returning. Um, there will be modifications in scheduling, sure, and perhaps there will be a loss of revenue. Um, most definitely there will be a loss of fans in the stadium. But it will be great to get our league back, one of the most popular sports in America, and we're looking forward to crowning a champion this year. Um, in our third segment, um, we're going to talk about a number of a number of interesting things, uh, focusing on first and foremost NFL updates um, as they begin to lay out some of their guidelines for how they're going to handle the health crisis and the return of the health crisis. Um, we're also going to touch on WWE. Um, some consider it a sport, some don't. Um, but the fact is, it's one of the largest businesses and biggest earners in the United States. Um, so lots of things to unpack there and we'll do a little bit more of a deep dive into capital one's the match um that's that golf tournament or golf event i was mentioning before talking about the positive impact that that can have as they're donating over 10 million dollars to covid19 relief uh, and with that i think we'll go into our first break quick stakes that's q u i k stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Generally speaking, I don't do what I'm about to do, but uh, because of circumstances over the past four weeks, three and a half uh, weeks, I found out the importance of docs for patient care. Folks, don't ever let a member of your family go to a hospital without you or somebody being with them. That's one thing. The second thing is... Take a look at Docs for Patient Care, the foundation, and what it does and what it's trying to do and is accomplishing. And I found out firsthand how needed Docs for Patient Care really is. So 
Again, my advice, don't let any member of your family or friends or anybody else go to the hospital without somebody going with them to take care of them in the hospital. And to ask questions, don't just let the hospital run rampant over you, and they will. I have no love for hospitals, and you need to protect yourself. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. I'm Jack Christides, and this segment will be focusing on recent news and announcements regarding the NCAA and the fallout of the COVID-19 crisis on college athletics. Uh, now, this has been one of the topics that I've focused on throughout the course of this show. I believe it was actually the very first topic that I ever mentioned on our first show. Uh, seems pretty recent now, but thinking back, it's been little over a month and little over a month since we've been running this show, um, and I think things have been going well. But I think this segment will demonstrate just how much the sports landscape has changed since we started. Um, so when we first started this show, we were discussing how college athletics could struggle to function as a uh, potential loss of football season and large amounts of revenue could occur. Um, and that's exactly what has come to pass as a number of college programs have been cutting certain D1 sports as a reaction to the financial hardships of the pandemic. Um, so we talked about potentially how losing a football season could be extremely detrimental um, and have a large fallout across a number of other sports, as college athletic departments are funded primarily by revenue-driving sports of basketball and football. Most athletic departments are funded um, between 60% and 80% of their revenue from these basketball and football programs. Fortunately, a return of college football appears to be safe. The NCAA Division I Council ruled on Wednesday to lift a nationwide ban on on-campus activities uh, beginning June 1st. So that's the earliest you could see players flooding back to campuses for voluntary workouts. Conference commissioners have said the consensus has been reached on a six-week training camp, must start by mid-July in order to kick off the season on time. But even before that, players will be readying themselves for camp with workouts expected to be Slightly different than normal, but hopefully equally as affected, um, as many schools have created comprehensive safety plans to welcome back their athletes. Now, every school and every conference isn't in the same boat. Um, each state is under different stages of reopening, including some that haven't even started the process. At least 18 states aren't open at all or in the early stages of opening, and dozens more are at completely different steps in the process, from Georgia, where gyms and salons are open to Kentucky, which is only open select essential businesses. Um, so this is definitely going to create a unique landscape and unique competitive advantage for different schools. And some leagues are leaving the decision up to individual schools. Um, but if one thing is clear, it's that this will not be a normal college football season, but there will be a college football season. Um, schools are eager to, eager to put on these shows uh, with the West Virginia athletic director even proclaiming that he guarantees a season even if he has to lace them up. Now, I believe that that athletic director is in his early 70s, um, so hopefully he doesn't end up lacing them up, and hopefully we can just get the players back out there on time. Uh, another update from college football, the Ohio State program released official social distancing guidelines proposing between 20,000 and 50,000 fans in stadium. 
Uh, now, we talked in the last segment about how I feel um, regarding fans in stadium. I, I think this is kind of a foolhardy exercise. I don't, I don't really care what their projections say. Just use common sense. Having between 20,000 and 50,000 fans in a stadium right now doesn't seem like something that's going to be able to happen. Uh, if it does, more power to them. That's great. Um, but I foresee a lot of health issues if that does happen. Now, just because college football is back, it doesn't mean that revenue isn't going to be taking a huge hit. Um, obviously, it would have been much worse if college football seasons were entirely canceled because um, there would have been a loss in TV contract, media revenue, sponsor revenue. But there still is the loss in ticket revenue um, and concession revenue and uh, all of the in-stadium things that we typically don't think about but are a major part of college athletics. Um, now, this loss in revenue has resulted in cutbacks as athletic departments are unable to function. A number of schools have cut athletic programs, with one of the largest examples being Furman. Uh, Furman has cut men's lacrosse and baseball. We've had Bowling Green also cut their baseball program. Central Michigan has discontinued their track and field program. Um, and perhaps in one of the most shocking moves that I've seen today, the MAC conference has canceled the conference tournaments for men's and women's soccer, baseball, softball, tennis, lacrosse, field hockey, starting this fall. Uh, this is a change that's expected to last for at least five seasons. Um, that is a huge, huge, huge deal. Uh, all of these teams discontinuing programs, and this isn't, pausing programs, expecting them to come back. This is the elimination of programs impacting so many different things. I don't even have the time to explain in this segment um, or this show, but just to give you a little brief overview, um, the common sports that are being cut include tennis, lacrosse, swim, dive, and cross country. Um, and all of this has been done in an effort to uh, cut that back on expenses and hopefully pre preserve athletic departments. Um, but uh, one of the things that this is affecting that you may not have been thinking about is Title IX. Now, most of us know Title IX as, uh, as the bill that was introduced to uh, promote equality among men and women's athletics in colleges. Now, that's definitely something that it does, but one side effect of Title IX is that you're forced to have proportionality um, between not only your student body, but between your men's and your women's sports at your school. Um, now, this is all great. Um, Certainly, I'm not advocating to get rid of Title IX, but we may need to have some provision uh, after a pandemic like this. Whenever you see a sport being cut, it usually results in um, a sport on the men's side and women's side having to be cut um, because you need to have equal proportionality across those sports. Um, you can't simply cut a men's sport and not look at the women's sports because then all of a sudden you have too many women's sports or vice versa, you have too many men's sports uh, when it relates to the women's sports. So this is causing all sorts of problems across the athletic departments. Um, another issue that is becoming more prevalent as sports are getting cut um, is the rule that schools maintain at least six D1 athletic programs to be considered a Division I athletic institution. Um, this is something that the NCAA has addressed with a waiver, a widespread waiver. Um, schools do have to apply for this waiver, but it's allowing in select cases for less athletic programs to be Division I um, and still allow a team to be or a school to be in accordance with those guidelines. So we're seeing all sorts of changes um, in the way college athletics are operating. And what it really all boils down to is how college athletics 
normally operate on a yearly basis. So what some of you may not know is most college athletic departments operate at a cash flow deficit year in and year out, uh, with only about 20 or 25 teams actually making a profit. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, why are so many teams, so many uh, athletic departments still still functioning year after year if they're not making a profit? And what that boils down to is that college athletics is a revenue-driven sport. Um, so the reason that teams don't actually need to make money year in, year out, um, is because they draw, if they drive a large enough amount of revenue, and then you also add in the positive benefits, be it recruiting, brand, camaraderie amongst the school, the school believes that taking a loss in the cash flow department is worth the, the non-monetary benefits that they're going to get. They're going to draw attention to their school, um, potentially get a number of new students in the future, elevate the brand of the school, and over time, they'll make up that money in a variety of different ways, be it alumni or uh, things of that nature. So uh, it's all was fine and well um, until this year where all of a sudden revenues dropped even lower and all of a sudden they can't even afford to support the programs. Um, so it's really an issue that no one could have foreseen coming, um, but it, it points to a flaw in the system and maybe these teams will have to start reassessing and these departments will have to start reassessing exactly how they're going about doing their business. Um, I know I've spoken about my brother, Max Christides, before on this show. He's currently a lacrosse player at UMass Lowell, a Division One East Coast lacrosse program. Um, now, no one at their school yet has had their sports cup, but an interesting solution that they've had is they've been doing a large amount of fundraising. I believe the goal that they were trying to get for their specific okay. team was $50,000, um, through donations, and I've seen a lot of other schools are doing this as well with the goal in mind being that if they can raise enough money, hopefully they can provide the same level of quality training, yeah, uh, supplies, tutors, all those things that show. college athletes you know, usually are provided dead. with. Um, so so we are seeing some ingenuity on the side of the individual athletic departments, um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what other solutions they come up with. But as of, as of yet, it's just been cutting of programs, cutting of resources, and in some scenarios, um, some fundraising to attempt to earn back some of that money. Um, and with that, before we get into talking about the NBA, I think we'll do one more short break. Well, I told him, you know, if I didn't come in today, that Brett would run the show. But, uh, you know, I'm in, and, and uh, I'll play an archive. All right, thank you. That's all right. Bye. Okay, we're glad to have you listening to America's Web Radio and uh, Billion Dollar Ballers. And it's a fascinating business, uh, professional sports. And we're glad to have Jack Castadis doing the show. And... uh, We will be back after a couple of messages. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. 
So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. This segment will be focusing on the recent announcements in the NBA and the eminent return of the season. Thankfully, yes, the NBA, it seems, will be returning. As we talked about on this show, I've always been confident in the return of the NBA, simply due to the financial fallout that not returning could potentially have on the league. Um, We're talking about a lack of fulfillment of TV contracts, loss of fan and in-stadium revenue, and an eventual detrimental decrease of the salary cap. Now, the league doesn't want any of those things. The fans don't want any of those things. And uh, it seems that a lot of those things will not be happening. Um, I just want to break down a little bit the the structure of the NBA's collective bargaining agreement and how the collective bargaining agreement is so poorly constructed to handle pandemics. Um, Now, the collective bargaining agreement structures the league such that the contract is built on one basic assumption, that the flow of money into the league will largely remain uninterrupted. Um, So the force majeure that we've heard about, that potential stoppage of the season indefinitely, um, would allow the league to take back money from players' salaries. Um, It's generally standard legal procedure inserted into most collective bargaining agreements like this that covers all the bases. Um, It's essentially a just-in-case for a situation exactly like this. Um, Basically, think of it like a spare tire after a blowout, just some some insurance that'll get you where you need to go in the short term, um, but it's not a permanent solution. Eventually, you're going to need a new tire. Uh, Eventually, you're going to need to renegotiate this CBA. Um, So this is exactly where the NBA is right now. They currently have a spare tire on. Um, The collective bargaining agreement needs to be retooled for this new reality, Um, There's a lot of ideas how this can get done, but the best idea has yet to be discovered. Um, So unfortunately for the league, there's no solid answers just yet um, because no one knows exactly how much money will be lost. One of the reasons that we're still in limbo is because the league is hoping to recoup some of the potential $2 billion in losses um, by resuming their season. And thankfully, it appears that they're going to return their season um, but you can't dispute the numbers, and the numbers show that the amount of revenue lost depends on a lot of different things, including how many games are played, uh, how the games are broadcasted. For example, can they create a second broadcast of their games with different camera angles or potential to add different viewers, things of that nature? Um, and how much salary is the league going to be taking back from the players? Now, losing $2 billion is their worst-case scenario, but uh, we do have to make that part of the conversation. Um, because we just don't know how much revenue they're going to lose as of now. So it's really a prepare-for-the-worst, hope-for-the-best discussion that hopefully forces everyone involved um, to think about more contingencies moving forward. Now, the NBA and the NBA Players Association, as we know, agreed on withholding 25% of each player's paycheck. Uh, That began on May 15th. It's continuing until the beginning of the season again. Um, 
the revenue in essence for the league has dropped to zero in this time off, which is having a huge financial impact on the team businesses and arena businesses. Um, so again, mentioned this several times, but just going to hammer this nail again. Thousands of jobs impacted by the NBA, not just the players and the staff, um, including the day of game arena workers. The NBA is responsible for roughly 55,000 jobs. Um, so we're definitely excited to get the league back as it inches closer to its return. Um, as of now, a vast majority of practice facilities are open, and we've seen a number of star players, uh, including LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, already working out, uh, even though not in organized team activities yet. Uh, teams are expecting the league office to issue guidelines around June 1st, allowing franchises to start recalling players who've left their markets as a first step towards this formal ramp-up of the season's resumption. The league's discussing a step-by-step plan for the return of the season, including an initial two-week recall of players into team marketplaces, one to two weeks of individual workouts at team facilities, and a two- to three-week formal training camp, um, with games expected to return sometime in July. Uh, There is a proposal also to push back the start of the 2021 Uh, 2020-21 season to around Christmas, uh, that appears to be gaining steam. So that's pretty interesting as well. Uh, The NBA and NBA Players Association are meeting to discuss the structure of a return, uh, including how the league will navigate the possibility of regular season games. Uh, We've heard perhaps a play-in tournament, different playoff formats, or whether even the full 30 teams will be brought back to finish the season. We've seen coaches and executives of some of the lesser-off teams, at least this year in the standings, um, for example, Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors, expressing that he really doesn't see the point in coming back to play when they're already locked out of the playoffs. Now, this is something that could affect draft order, it could affect viewership, so there's a lot of layers and a lot of things to unpack here. Um, but the bottom line is we don't know exactly what the NBA is going to look like when it does return, but we do know that it will hopefully be returning very shortly. Um, Commissioner Adam Silver has indicated that the North American sports commissioners have discussed with President Trump and multiple governors that they will need their assistance in helping players return safely, uh, helping players who are international return to the country even. Um, So that's just yet again another hurdle that's going to make things difficult um, in returning to the season. Um, when the season does return, obviously all the revenue won't be recouped. Sports sponsors are taking a major hit in 2020. As analysis from a sports marketing company called Two Circles has found global sports sponsorship right fees will decline by 37% this year to $28.9 billion after totaling $46.1 billion in 2019. Um, and if you think about this, it really makes perfect sense. Most businesses across the country are bleeding right now. People are losing money, and they're losing money quickly. Um, and, and with this being the case, people really can't afford anymore to throw money at sports sponsorships. So uh, I figured, just to give people some perspective, we'll take a look into the top 10 global sports sponsorship segment. Um, so about 45% projected decrease in financial service sponsorships. 55% in automotive, 18% in technology, 19 in telecoms, 37 in retail, 39 in soft drinks. And the list just keeps going. But the, the general theme that I'm trying to get at here is all of these major businesses that you can think of on a daily basis 
um, the businesses that are the backbone of this country, the businesses that really drive everything, they're a huge part of sports, too. Everything's connected, and, and these, these companies are investing in sports, which is helping the leagues, and these leagues are providing exposure um, and brand recognition to these different major companies. Um, but a lot of that is decreasing because people simply don't have the money to spend on sports sponsorships. And, and that's really a shame, and I hope it's something that is eventually corrected in the long term. Um, but it's important to note that in the short term, it's definitely something that's going to be a major issue. Um, if the cap keeps on getting knocked by this loss of revenue, uh, we're going to see all sorts of problems. These super teams that we've come to love, um, where teams have the ability to pay uh, pay your LeBron James and your Anthony Davis large contracts, or your Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and and Kevin Durant, that that kind of thing is only really able to happen in today's NBA um, because the caps are so high that you're able to put, pay players large amounts of money, even if they're not making the max contract. So it's still desirable for them to come to a team um, because although they may not technically be on the highest contract in the league, they're still making amounts of money that they're comfortable with. Now what you're going to see is if there's a reduction in the salary cap due to these loss of revenues, loss of sponsorship revenues, potential readjustment of the collective bargaining agreement, um, you're going to see players making less money on the average. When that happens, um, players who may have been comfortable taking a pay cut aren't going to want to take the pay cut anymore because it's going to be more significant pay cut. They're going to be making less money than they would before, not simply because they're taking the pay cut, um, but because the amount of money that the teams have to spend on players is less. Um, so uh, while hopefully the NBA should be able to withstand this and make a good recovery, there is always the off chance that it affects the salary cap, and that's going to affect their on-court product as well. Um, uh, now, a little preview of our next segment before we get into it. I really wanted to touch on uh, the WWE. Now, the WWE is an interesting conundrum in the sports world. Yes, we know it's air quotes fake. Um, technically, it's not what some people would consider a real sport. Um but when we get down to it, sports really is entertainment. Um, the whole purpose of sports is to entertain the American people and certainly provide stimulus to the economy in times that we're in, such as now. Um, and the WWE is incredibly good at that. Uh, people are constantly underestimating the WWE's fan base. Um, their video on demand content might be actually the biggest reason why their subscriptions are decreasing year over year, but it's also due to the fact that their official YouTube channel has eclipsed 60 million subscribers, which ranks as the number one sports channel on YouTube. And throughout this entire crisis, the WWE has in fact never actually stopped. Um, they have no fans in their stadium. Uh, yes, it's a contact sport. But the WWE has continued to run through this whole thing. I've seen a couple of the shows myself. I, I can't claim to be the biggest WWE fan. It's certainly kind of weird to watch people wrestling uh, with no fan noise and hear all their introductions and their walkout dances um, with no fans in the stadium. But the bottom line is uh, that they're prospering, and they're prospering in ways that other leagues are attempting to branch out and capitalize on as well. Um, so their YouTube channel... Um, it's not only the number one sports channel on YouTube, it's the fifth most viewed channel in the world with 43 billion video views. And I think that this can really uh, 
pave the way uh, for a lot of different sports and show how it doesn't necessarily need to be your typical TV content. It doesn't even necessarily need to be your typical streaming content. A lot of it can be um, through various stored online channels, such as YouTube, allowing people free access year-round. This definitely isn't going to bring in the same kind of revenue that a large TV contract would, but we can't underestimate the power of visibility. It's something that we've seen throughout this whole crisis uh, with the WWE, this new Capital One golf tournament, as we've talked about, even NASCAR. These sports are gaining exposure, and in the long run, exposure means viewers, viewers mean dollars. And the more fans that you can accumulate, the better it's going to be for your sport. So I do think it's something interesting to know. Um, and, and as to how that does relate to the NFL, because it certainly does, um, with the NFL um, prepping to do their new streaming services, uh, we can see that they're sort of trying to branch out in the same way as well. Um, and we're going to get into that in our next segment, focusing on NFL updates and a lot of changes that are coming to that league. Um, so with that, we'll go into our final break. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. We're going into our final segment now, a segment that I'm particularly partial to, definitely excited to be discussing, um, and that is focusing on NFL updates and changes. Um, So we've spoken before. The plan for the NFL season uh, is to begin in early September. Um, And since the NFL season isn't beginning until early September, the league is going to have the ability to monitor how the UFC in particular, NASCAR, uh, tennis, golf, even the German Bundesliga, and perhaps Major League Baseball fare with their returns to play. Um, specifically right now, the German Soccer League is testing twice a week, um, and I think we'll learn from their results whether or not that's effective. Uh, while their roster size and our sizes aren't necessarily as large, uh, they do have 11-11 play on the field, somewhat similar to football. It is a large contact sport. Um, so I think that that's probably the best direct comparison. A lot of these other sports that we've been discussing, um, whether it be NASCAR, golf, tennis, or even the UFC, um, there's limited contact involved in those sports. Uh, obviously, UFC, you have two people in contact. But when you get to football, 
uh, even beyond basketball where it's 10 people on a court, all of a sudden you have 22 people on a field and it's extreme contact. Um, so I think we have to look to these soccer leagues uh, for for the testing protocol to see how that testing works, what happens when there's a positive test, um, and any number of other hurdles that may arise throughout this COVID-19 uh, situation. Some things that have been discussed uh, is coaches having to wear masks on the sidelines, uh, with players wearing face shields. I've seen some hilarious images online of players with built-in masks to their to their face mask. I don't think that's something that we can expect, but uh, a face shield certainly seems plausible, um, similar to the visors, but continuing down over the face mask. Um, and uh, it, it may be more for show more than anything, to be quite frank, because if you test these athletes consistently, I don't foresee a problem. Um, keep in mind here that Amongst young people, the COVID-19 doesn't seem to be nearly as harsh of a disease. Uh, where, where we do see potential for more risks and more problems is when you have the coaches that are of an advanced age, um, as, say, a Bill Belichick. Bill's 68 uh, coaching on the sideline. He's, his risk jumps tenfold. Um, so there's certainly some concern there. Um, and it'll be interesting to monitor how the NFL plans to come back. But as we said, they have the benefit of time. Um, and the benefit of other sports starting prior to them. So hopefully they can iron out the kinks and be ready to go by the time the season starts. Back to the business side of things, Forbes has estimated that game day revenue from tickets, parking, food, and the like contributes to $5.5 billion in revenue to the NFL. Uh, and teams are going to find ways to bring fans into the stadium. Um, I've expressed my doubts of bringing fans into the stadium, um, but if anybody could do it, it would be the NFL. The Miami Dolphins have presented a plan to have 15,000 fans at the Hard Rock Stadium with proper social distancing. Um, and they've also said it's possible that teams could allow just a few hundred family members to attend. Um, that's an interesting solution. We'll see how that pans out. Again, I think that they can most likely look to college football um, and see how the college football landscape looks, what they end up being able to do, what they institute and what works, and kind of adapt and react to those situations. So who knows? Um, maybe there's a chance that there will be fans. That's not really uh, up to me to say, but it'll be interesting to monitor. Teams also stand to lose between 70 to $100 million on average on gate receipts alone. Um, so bottom line here, teams are going to take a revenue hit. Uh, the 2021 salary cap is supposed to decline according to the current formula. And now both the team owners and the NFL Players Association share a mutual interest in keeping the cap above its record $198 million that it is from this season. Um, the solution is that both sides will likely sit down at the table and work on smoothing next year's cap hit. Um, so th there's a number of ways to do it, and a lot of them are pretty technical and would require more than the 10 to 15 minutes I have to explain to you right now. But the most probable that I see is that they smooth over next year's cap hit by borrowing from future years. Now, what that means is every year the NFL and the Players Association expects the cap to increase. Um, that's just due to a couple of factors. Uh, first, inflation, um, increasing TV contracts, um, and hopefully this isn't always the case, an increase in viewership and fandom of the sport. 
Now, um, continuing to estimate that we'll have these increases in the salary cap, what you can do is you can borrow against your projected future earnings. So essentially, you're, it's like taking out a loan. They're essentially taking out a loan um, backed by uh, future future earnings of the increased salary cap. So what that's going to do is that's going to create a stable salary cap, so we probably won't see actual increases in the salary cap over time. It'll probably be at a level amount um, for the next few years. However, uh, if the cap does end up going down, uh, we could see a lot of changes to football. Some would say this could make the game more exciting. Things we could see is a potential greater willingness for teams to extend their franchise tag to top players set to become unrestricted free agents. Um, so the formula for that non-exclusive franchise tag is tied to a percentage of the cap, and if the cap decreases, so would the tag number. Um, so while this is detrimental to some of the star players being tagged, such as uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, the great receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, it would be beneficial for the teams as they'd be saving money by being able to salary cap players. They'd be otherwise paying more on the cap. So that'll be something interesting to monitor. And secondly, uh, young quarterbacks ready to break the bank, uh, they may have to wait a while longer. So with the cap massaging, leveling off the salary cap for the next few years, it'll be difficult for, um, say, the Cowboys to pay a, a Dak Prescott or the Texans to pay a Deshaun Watson respectively, what they feel they deserve. A contract anywhere close to $40 million a year, for example, could wind up costing disproportionate amounts of the cap if the cap remains the same or goes down. Um, So, again, we could see the franchise tag potentially being placed on those players again, um, or we could just see them settling for lower contracts. It'll it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens there. just uh, for some more clarity on where the money in the NFL comes from and how it gets distributed, all the revenue in the NFL comes from three main sources, um, those sources being league media, uh, such as broadcast rights, postseason money, and local revenue. Now, uh, although the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, does not explicitly have a section on what happens if fans can't attend games due to a once-in-a-century pandemic, um, you can look at Article 12, Section 1 of the document for some guidance. So I recently went back and read through this, and I think that this section can somewhat accurately um, depict what we can expect. And I'll read it off, and then I'll explain a little bit of what that means. So this section says that, quote, if all revenue for any league year substantially decreases, in either case due to a terrorist or military action, natural disaster, or similar event, Parties shall engage in good faith negotiations to adjust the provisions of this agreement with respect to the projection of all revenue and the salary cap for the following year. Um, So essentially this means that although they just agreed on a brand new collective bargaining agreement, both parties are pretty much forced to come together and collectively bargain to figure this all out. and again, my prediction being that they'll borrow against their future earnings. Uh, moving forward, uh, I did want to discuss this Capital One's The, Math, the Match Champions for Charity um, quickly. Although it won't necessarily be as business-oriented as this show normally is, I think it's something that's great that's happening, um, great to fight the COVID-19 pandemic and the the poor effects that it's having on a lot of people and to touch on what David was talking about to help try and combat some of the problems we're seeing 
um, in our medical community right now with the, the poor patient healthcare um, that's happening in these hospitals. So uh, what the Capital One's The Match Champions for Charity is, um, is it's a one-time event um, with what many people consider to be, if not the two best com- quarterbacks of all time, uh, the best quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, one of the best, Peyton Manning, um, and two of the best golfers of all time with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods. Um, they're all going to come together. Uh, they're playing teams of two. It's Tiger and Peyton uh, versus Phil and uh, Brady. And they're playing a match that will support national and local beneficiaries, uh, aiming in, to make an impact on many of the communities affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Donations will be made to organizations working across multiple areas of need, including direct relief, which equips healthcare workers on the front lines with life-changing medical supplies. The American Red Cross, um, who has been making a huge part or playing a huge role in helping relief efforts to work within this new environment, including providing virtual support and collective convalescent plasma for COVID-19 treatment. Save Small Businesses, a grant-making initiative to help small business employees struggling at this time. And the All-In Challenge, an initiative that aims to eliminate food insecurity um, by providing food to all those in need. Um, so, in partnership with the All-In Challenge, all four participants are going to donate custom experiences, raising millions of dollars towards the COVID-19 relief efforts. Um, with viewers having the ability to enter into a live raffle for certain uh, cool events and things featuring Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson during the telecast as well. Um, so, obviously, the... The coronavirus has caused unimaginable tragedy uh, and heartbreak, and it's something that we're all looking to get through. Um, But I think that this is a beautiful example of how sports can help us to overcome and and help us to overcome in ways that may not be considered traditional formats. Um, I'm sure everyone knows who's even a casual golf fan. Uh, Usually, uh, golf isn't isn't a one-off event. Usually, it's a tournament style. But... Um, in this scenario, it is just a 2v2 one-day event. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. I, for one, think that it's going to draw huge numbers, and it could potentially um, affect how we view sports such as golf and tennis moving forward, um, similar to the way that we've seen a lot of different celebrities try to verge into the world of boxing, people who weren't even boxers before. Um, the point is, at the, at the end of the day, sports is entertainment. And if you can provide something that's entertaining, that's going to get fans to tune in, that can generate money, uh, whether it be for charity, as is the case here, or whether it just be uh, normal normal ways of generating revenue, um, as most of our normal sports function today, um, we may want to reassess our typical ideas of how sports are presented um, there's no reason that we can't be adaptable and change to the times. And people now more than ever just want an event. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, the structured season that you would normally see. Uh, for example, another thing that recently has been discussed by Commissioner Adam Silver of the NBA is implementing a mid-season tournament for no reason other than to um, combat the lack of interest that they've had in the uh, the All-Star Game. So people have not been tuning into the All-Star Game for many years. A lot of people tie it to the decline in quality of the NBA dunk contest. But uh, we need to come up with unique solutions that 
allow us to drive more revenue, especially as leagues and teams are losing money quickly. And uh, I think restructuring the format, or what we would consider the classic format of many of these sports, um, is definitely an interesting way to do so. Um, So as our show is coming to a close this week, I'd love to give a brief preview of next week's show. Um, Again, as new information comes in, the shows are ever-changing. But the plan for next week's show is we're going to discuss exactly how this Capital One, the match, ends up going. We'll talk a little bit about the numbers, the actual money raised from that. We should have updates uh, following that June 1st date of exactly what's going to happen on the NBA side of things. Um, And hopefully, as as student athletes continue to flow in to their schools um, and begin to resume on-field activities, we'll get some updates of exactly what's going to be happening there. Also look forward to a special guest. I don't want to give it away just yet, but uh, we'll have someone who can hopefully provide some insight insight onto the agent side of things, Um, something that is not necessarily my expertise, but certainly a huge part of the business of sports is the agents representing the the athletes as well. So it'll be great to get some different perspectives there and uh, understand a little bit of more the full picture of how things are operating and more specifically how the coronavirus has negatively impacted the agent side as well. Um, So with that, thanks for joining us today on Billion Dollar Ballers. I'm Jack Christides, and we'll see you next Friday again at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.